This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello and welcome to another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. I'm your host, Bob Asman, and we're glad to have you back listening to this podcast about customer experience, and I'm really pleased to have my guest joining me today, James Dodkins. James, welcome to the All Things Considered CX podcast. We're glad to hear of you here. Would you take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. I'm honored to be a part of your podcast. My name is James Dodkins. You might know me as the Customer Experience Rockstar, which was a title that was bestowed on me by my, myself, <laughs> I am the customer experience evangelist for Pegasystems. James, uh, before we get into kind of your career path, tell us a little bit about what Pegasystems does. I think our listeners would be intrigued by that. Yeah, sure. I mean, in short, Pegasystems helps complex companies in complex situations and environments crush that complexity with process automation, one-to-one personalized marketing and customer service solutions. Excellent. Now, James, you said you bestowed on yourself the topic of CX Rockstar. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I gave myself that title. <laughs> I love it. So, and, and some of our listeners, I'm sure, have heard your uh, presentation at conferences and webinars and so forth. Uh, but, James, seriously, does anybody wake up when they're a young child and say, I want to be a CX Rockstar? So, how did you get to be a CX Rockstar? What's your career path? What are those elements that got you to where you are today? Well, I mean, I wanted to be a rock star, just not, not, <laughs> just not a CX Rockstar. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'll take it. It's, it's a fair compromise. Um, right. So, as some people may know, I used to be an actual real life legitimate award winning rock star, toured the world in a heavy metal band, released albums, was on TV, played on stages all over the world. Um, then when I stopped doing that, after I was an international rock god, I took the next logical step in my career and joined an insurance company. Really? So I was at that company. <laughs> um, I, was, I was selling insurance on the phones in the call center. And I realized pretty early on, okay, I don't really want to do this for the rest of my life. So I, I made, set myself some goals and I worked my way through the company um i got made redundant from that company after a while i was convinced i was going to be ceo of that company because he came to work in a helicopter and i was like i could do that that looks easy so i was convinced i was going to be ceo work my way towards that um then i got made redundant so for anyone who's not british being made redundant you're not fired but your job doesn't exist anymore so that's that's what that is um and while i was at that company we had loads of really expensive, crappy consultants come through. 
And so once I got made redundant, I was like, you know what? I could be a really expensive, crappy consultant. So that's what I did. I became a really expensive, crappy consultant. And I got really lucky. I got to work with some wicked brands. I worked with people like Disney, Lego, Adobe, Mercedes, governments all over the world, airlines all over the world, and even brands like Nike. But the problem was I had created this corporate persona for myself. Uh, I sort of had a vision of what you needed to act like and look like and talk like to be a business professional. And it was a suit and tie with a briefcase and it worked. It worked pretty well, but I was miserable because I was spending a massive amount of my energy on any given day, just trying desperately not to be me. And it got to the point that the customer experience space was getting so saturated that I, I needed something to help me stand out. I needed something to make me a little bit more memorable. And then there were various things that happened, but one of the main things that happened that sort of brought this all together for me and gave me the idea to, you know, become the customer experience rock star. It was a quote from a guy called Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead. Have you heard of the dude? Uh, yes, I have. Cool. So are you a deadhead by any chance? Uh, no, I'm not. But <laughs> now you've got to explain that to our listeners too, James. Oh, yeah. So a deadhead is like an extreme fan of the Grateful mm-hmm. Dead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the quote from Jerry Garcia was, don't try and be the best in the world at what you do. Try and be the only person in the world that does what you do. Mm. And that quote it just hit me all at once. I was like, look, I've got this really cool music career that I never told anyone about because I was scared that they would have preconceived notions about me and my past and what I was capable of, all of which would have been correct, by the way. But that's, of course, why I didn't want them to (laughs) to have it. And I've got this love of customer experience that's grown organically over the years, which actually isn't a surprise to me now. Because for me, Putting on an amazing show for your fans night after night is exactly the same as delivering amazing experiences to your customers day after day. So I've got these two things. Why can I not put them together and help people learn about customer experience through the lens of music in a fun and interesting and memorable way? And thus, the customer experience rock star was born. Hmm. That's an amazing story, James. And I'm curious about your musical talent. Is that in the family? How did you acquire that kind of rock star level music talent? Um, I'm not very good, actually. I'm like, (laughs) I'm slightly above average. It's it's pretty much the same in customer experience. It's all it's all just confidence. That's all it's all it is, and stage presence. (laughs) No, but um. No, I didn't come from a particularly musical family. It was just, it was, it was friends at school. We were like, ah, oh, we like this sort of music. We should be in a band. And then we're like, oh, we're going to have to learn some instruments then, aren't we? And um, yeah, so that's, that's what we did. That's pretty much, yeah, there was no, um, it's not in my DNA. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think it probably is, but mm-hmm. it's... Um, it wasn't originally in my DNA, but now it is, if that makes sense. It does. And listeners, if you haven't 
heard James before, you're going to find him to be a transparent, honest individual that tells it like it is. And that's uh, really a, a quality that he brings to the CX profession as well. <clears throat> and uh, James, with that kind of uh, career, it kind of a a combination of entrepreneurship, the musical talent. What's your inspiration? How do you, you know, get up every day and go into work? What what what's that driver that you have within you? Well, I'm I'm lucky I do something I quite like doing. I mean, it's it's not that difficult. It's a cliche, isn't it, when they say like, do what you love and you'll never work a day again in your life. I'm not I'm not saying that like there aren't things that I do that I don't particularly enjoy, but it's the outcomes that I enjoy. I love being on stage. I love being in front of people. I love helping people think differently about stuff. Like for me, one of the biggest buzzes I ever get is when somebody explains something to me in a way that makes me think about something in a different way, in a way that I've never thought about it before. And that's why I love learning. I love like learning people's opinions and views on things. I love researching things because it makes me go, Oh, I never thought about it like that before. And I love it when that happens. And as a result, I love helping other people achieve that sort of awakening, as it were. I love seeing it in people's eyes when, you, you know, when they just, something clicks and they think about something in a way that they've never thought about it before. And I love being the person that can help people do that. It's, um, so I'm, I'm not particularly academic. I, I'm not traditionally what you'd refer to as like a smart person. So in order for me to understand quite complex things, I have to break them down into stories and analogies. And it turns out that's been almost like a superpower for me that having to do that to understand things myself is then very useful to then explain it to other people. And I don't know, man, it's just, I, I love doing it. It's, I don't see myself ever not doing it. And so it's not a, it's not a difficult thing for me. James, you touched on something just then about storytelling. <clears throat> that is frequently used in the experience profession to talk about how customers experience things, how employees experience things. Um, do you find that? I mean, you're, you're talking about advocating for storytelling. Do you find that? Do you use that? Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, that's what music is. Music is storytelling. And it's just, it's telling a story in a different format. I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure the original music that was created, like back in cave person days, was to remember and tell stories, to pass on things that had happened to other people. I think that's pretty much... Someone, someone can fact check me on that. That'll be fine. <laughs> but... For me, that's what music is. It's about telling someone a story in a particular way that is going to touch their soul. And it, tra it transcends music for me. It's, storytelling is an integral part of um, not just customer experience, not just business, but life. It is Life is stories. Once At the end of our life, all we're going to be left with is stories of our life. So I think it's a... It's a really, really important subject. I definitely agree. And, um, and like to use stories in my engagements as well. So James, you, prior to the pandemic, you were uh, on the speaking circuit. Um, you were at a number of conferences. You were involved in advancing the profession. The pandemic hit and, and many, many, 
CX professionals were adversely impacted in part because many organizations viewed CX as expendable, as mm. like travel and entertainment or something like that. And yeah, yeah. For, for all of us that are CX professionals, we kind of looked at that and said, well, that's kind of depressing. Is that as far as we've come uh, in terms of the profession that it's still treated as expendable? Your thoughts on that situation? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a difficult one because I think that's our own fault. And it's going to be a bit controversial, but I think as customer experience professionals, we all get together with each other and we go, hey, customer experience is great. And we go, yeah, I agree. I also think customer experience is great. And someone will go, hey, did you just say customer experience is great? I also think that, wow, aren't we cool? And we kind of forget that not everyone thinks the same way as us. There's like, the majority of the business aren't customer experience professionals. Now, you can argue that the customer is everyone's job, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but in reality, that's not the way that it is. And we get frustrated when people don't share the same passion for customer experience as us. Yet it's our job, not just to create good experiences for our customers, but to spread that awareness internally and understand internally what people's motivators are and tie customer experience to that one of the biggest ones is at the sea level i don't think we've been very good as a profession at demonstrating the financial impact of customer experience and customer experience activities within our business um there's i mean the way i think about it is it's not that i say it's not that hard it's it's simple, but it's not easy. I'll say that. There's only four things you really need to tie your customer experience efforts to, and that's acquisition. So from doing this customer experience stuff, did we get more customers? Retention. From doing this customer experience stuff, did the customers we already have stay for longer? Loyalty. From doing this customer experience stuff, did... Um... Hang on, retention and loyalty are the same things. What's the other one? Wallet share, sorry. <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, wallet share. Um, from doing this customer experience stuff, are the customers we have spending more money with us and cost? From doing this customer experience stuff, is it costing us less to serve? Are our operating costs going down? So acquisition, retention, wallet share, and cost. That's just link what you're doing to that stuff and say, because it's going, hey, we increased our NPS score by three. Okay, fantastic. Well, hey, our customers were 17% more smiley today. Okay, fantastic. Hey, we added 7 million to the bottom line. Oh, okay. That's something that is unrefutable. So I think you are right. And I think some companies see customer experience as expendable, but I think we have to take the blame for that. I, I, will, I will agree with you. James, I don't think we've talked like <clears throat> executives need to hear about what you just talked about. If we can add numbers to acquisition, loyalty, wallet sharing costs, it's a whole different story that we're telling to an executive than if we say, you know, well, we have to do this because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I mean, a, in, an world, <clears throat> in an ideal world, You'd have a CEO that's super customer centric. Everything they do is customer focused. 
but that's an ideal world. That's not the real world. In the real world, they, they're juggling lots of different priorities and you have to prove that customer experience should be one of them. It should be a top priority. Absolutely. You have to be able to be on the list with everything else that's a top priority within the organization. Yeah. So James, what trends are you seeing now as, you know, I don't know even how to characterize the pandemic anymore as we emerge from it, as it, it lessens, whatever it is, but are you seeing any particular trends now um, as we look forward into the rest of 2022 and beyond? Yeah. I mean, for me, it seems that trust is at an all time low and I'm, I'm really looking into this idea of trust right now as it seems to be the most important currency right now in customer experience in a relationship between a company and a customer. It is the most important currency. And you could argue, one could argue that we are now living in a trust economy where there's been the talk about we're living in an experience economy. I think because of the pandemic, we've transcended that and we're now living in a trust economy and trust is the one thing that can change everything and because of how companies reacted to the pandemic it's either grown and solidified trust with customers or it's absolutely shattered it and so I think I mean I would like to see more companies realizing this and focusing on building that trust with customers how do you think that exemplifies itself in an organization, James? I think this concept of trust is just spot on. Um, and, and I think it's ignored sometimes. How do you, how does it exemplify itself? You have uh, some examples or thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, the way I think about trust, and again, this is just my musings on it. This is the way I think about it. I think of trust in two parts. So there's meaning well and doing well. So it's doing the right things and doing things right. It's There is two parts of trust. And so, for example, if we are doing a trust fall exercise, now I'm a big dude, I'm like six foot, I'm fairly broad. And like, you get like a seven-year-old kid behind me to, to do <laughs> like a trust fall exercise. I might trust that that seven-year-old kid wants to catch me but I don't necessarily trust that they're going to be able to catch me. So there's intent and there's competency. Do I trust that a company has got my best interest in heart? Do I trust that the company is actually able to do the things they say they're going to do? So for me, that's the way it's like those, those two, two sides of the same coin, intent and competency, meaning well and doing well. Are they trying to do the best for me as a customer versus can they do the best for me as a customer? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that's so true. And I think that's a great way to, to describe it and for, for our listeners to understand it um, better as they apply it in their organization. What would you say, James, in terms of the employee aspect? Because I know you have a lot of uh, respect and thoughts about the the role that the employee plays in delivering that experiences. 
Is it yeah. the same? Is it different? What are, what are your thoughts I think on it's that? exactly the same. Um, mm-hmm. I am a firm believer that if you want to put your customers first, you need to put your employees first, first. And that if leadership looks after the employees, then the employees will look after the customers. And again, the way that companies have reacted in the pandemic has either built more trust with their workforce or absolutely shattered it. It's been exactly the same. Trust, trust isn't in different categories like, oh, customer trust is different to employee trust is different to the trust you give your partner in life versus the trust you give your family versus the trust you give your friends. Trust is trust. You either trust or you don't. Um, and the only way you can build trust is through your behavior. And the way that some companies treated their employees will not only have eroded the trust with them, but will have eroded the trust of everyone that has heard the story of that happening, that has seen it secondhand. And sometimes that can be generational. You can have a story so bad, so impactful, so visceral, that it gets told over and over again. And... (laughs) you can get generations of people that mistrust either companies or certain institutions based on something that happened 10, 20, 30, 50, hundred years ago. And I think the pandemic, we are going to get some stories like that. We're going to get legends <laughs> that grow and that is going to cause essentially institutional distrust in certain people, whether that be employees or customers. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're spot on there. Um, So James, where are we going? Where are we headed in the experience profession? Um, When I think of some situations that I've seen in the, in the profession, like customer success and experience management and journey management and journey mapping and customer experience and employee experience. There's just a whole bunch of stuff in there mm-hmm. and it's getting confusing at times. Is it customer success? Is it customer experience? How do we sort through all of that? What do we do with all of that? Oh, that's a good question. And I don't know that there's one answer to that. Um, like the, it, it's a, it's a bugbear of mine. The, the definitions of all these things where, like, especially with customer experience, when people talk about customer experience, it's like, are you talking about a customer experience? Are you talking about the customer experience? Are you talking about the discipline of customer experience? Are you talking about a customer experience professional? Are you talking about the customer experience function within an organization? Are you talking about what is good customer experience? Are you talking about, Because that's the thing as well. It's like when people say, what is customer experience? They tend to start describing what they personally think good customer experience is. And it's like, there's, there's no, if you say, Hey, you've asked me to improve customer experience, but what is a customer experience? Most customer experience professionals will say like this, this, the standard definition, which is a customer experience is the sum of the thoughts, feelings, and interactions a customer has with your company. And people listening might be nodding their heads going, yep, that's yep. Well done, James. That's good. But no, for me, that's wrong. That's the least customer-centric way to look at what a customer experience is possible. This might be hard for some of you to swallow listening right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you anyway. I feel like you need to know this. 
many customers, the majority of customers, in fact, don't do business with you because they want to do business with you. And it's a shock, I know. But they're doing business with you because they're trying to achieve a goal or an outcome or a target. There's something bigger that they're trying to achieve. And you are part of helping them do that. But there's other players in the game too. There's other companies. There's there's other actors, if you will, um, that are going to help them on the journey towards achieving that goal or outcome. So when you say that the customer experience is just the interactions with you, that is so co- company-centric. And the furthest away from customer-centric you can get. Because what you're saying is that the only things that are happening in the customer's experience are interactions with us. When you start to redefine what a customer experience actually is as the sum of the thoughts, feelings and interactions a customer has on the journey towards achieving a goal or an outcome, you look at customer experience in a very different way. And that can be customer success, customer experience, whatever. It's just it's understanding that there's more to it than just you. And then when you take that holistic view and that holistic description of customer experience, you can look at it and go, well, hang on a second. They're not just interacting with us. They're also interacting with this type of company and that type of company and this institution and that institution. And then you can start to design solutions for customer experience that include other things that have that wider view, that better scope, that widened aperture of what's actually going on. So for me, it's that redefinition. And again, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just, this is just the way I personally think about it. You can agree with me. You can disagree with me. That's perfectly fine. I'd love to have this debate with anyone that wants to debate me about it. But I think one of the biggest things we need to do as a profession is agree on that definition. And it doesn't have to be my definition. It could be somewhere, I don't know, but my definition of what a customer experience is, is the sum of the thoughts, feelings, and interactions a customer has on the journey towards achieving a goal or an outcome. That was a long-winded way of answering your question, and I'm not actually sure I answered it. I kind of just went off on a bit of a, a bit of a rant there. Actually, you did because you you zeroed in on the importance of agreeing on a definition, James. Honestly, I don't know if that's possible in in my lifetime, even if mm-hmm. I live a hundred more years. But we have to move in that direction because that, in my opinion, is the way we're going to define the profession better and. Mm-hmm be more effective as professionals in this industry. And, and I, the part of the definition I particularly like is thoughts and feelings, because oftentimes we may be so focused on an NPS score uh, and we're forgetting about the thoughts and feelings. And those are so critical to a successful experience. Yeah. Well, it's like, because the thing is as well, it's the different definitions of, okay, a customer experience versus the discipline of customer experience, for example. Like for me, the discipline of customer experience is the, the business act of understanding and improving your relationship with your customers. Because that's what it is at the end of the day. It's not about, this is, again, a bit counterintuitive, but customer experience isn't about experience. It's about relationships. And the experience a customer has is a means to an end. It isn't the end in and of itself. It's the relationship. And um, it's annoying because customer relationship management has already been co-opted by the technology companies. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed it has. (laughs) Where that really is what we should be doing. We shouldn't be doing customer experience management. We should be doing customer relationship management and understanding that the experience is part of that. Um, But we can't because it's already being used elsewhere. But it's, it's, 
what what annoys me about it is like when you say, okay, talk to me about the def- the discipline of customer experience. And people start going, well, it's about delivering easy and fast experience. No, no, no. That's you've you've you're now saying what you think a good experience is. I'm not asking you what you think a good experience is. They go, oh, it's about improving NPS. No, I'm not asking just literally, what is it? What is it? It's it's the business act of understanding and improving the relationship you have with your customers. That's the end goal. That's the outcome that all customer experience professionals should be aiming for, because that is the discipline of customer experience. And I don't think it needs to be any more complicated than that. I I think you're spot on there, uh, James. And uh, it's so important, uh, some some very important thoughts that you've had on this. And and I think our listeners can very much relate to it and, and, clearly understand it from an experience standpoint. Uh, James, we're going to end this. I'm always surprised at how fast these podcasts go by. We're going to end our podcast as I do all of our podcasts and ask you for any final words of wisdom, according to James Dodkins. Um, well, the, I'm, I'm not going to give you words of wisdom from me because there's there's arguments to say that, that I don't have any. I'm just going to leave you with that um, uh, quote from Jerry Garcia. Don't try and be the best in the world at what you do. Try and be the only person in the world that does what you do. James, I think that's a great way to end our podcast together. Thank you, James Dutkins, for joining us on the All Things Considered CX podcast. We appreciate your time today. And listeners, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your network. And as always, stay tuned for future episodes of the All Things Considered CX podcast, as well as podcasts from the entire CX of M radio podcast network. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show. Follow me on LinkedIn and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit CXofM.org for more resources.